to the book of Genesis for the next nine weeks in the story of Abraham. Uh, We left off in chapter 11, 18 months ago in October 2019, a very different world. And uh, so if you want to go back and read Genesis 1 to 11 and even listen to some of those sermons, you can on our uh, podcast stream on iTunes or uh, SoundCloud. And if you'd like to get this book, God's Big Picture, how to put the whole Bible together to understand it as the one big story of God's plans and purposes and promises in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I highly recommend this book. I think it unlocks so much of what the Christian life is and what it means and how to understand it because it unlocks the Scriptures and helps you to understand them properly. So if you'd like a copy of God's Big Picture or if you'd like a copy of our next lockdown read, Is Forgiveness Really Free? I can arrange uh, contactless pick-up or drop-off to you, so do be in touch and let me know. Here we go for the next nine weeks, voice willing. We're in the book of Genesis. Let's pray and then we'll get after it together. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for your word that is so consistent and so clear and so true. We pray that you would help us to understand it properly this morning and therefore be able to walk in faith, trusting your promises with our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. And we pray this for his sake. Amen. Well, who do you think you are? That is a very deep and multi-layered question. If you spend a bit of time thinking about it, it's also a very popular and fascinating TV show. It's also a question that has spawned a multi-billion dollar Ancestry.com industry. And more fundamentally than that, the question of who we are really has filled us with pride and has plagued us with doubt, sometimes all at the same time. Uh, On Friday night, if you were like me, maybe you were, we were watching the opening ceremony of the Olympics and we saw athletes from all over the world enter an Olympic stadium, brimming with pride in their national uniforms, shaped and styled by symbolism and colour, that displayed something of an answer to that question, who do you think you are? But the commentaries, the commentators' clumsy references to genocide, their casual links to terrorism, and the optics of tiny teams from war-torn countries, and the traditional dress of dispossessed and demonised minorities... As beautiful and as compelling as they were, also remind us of the depths of confusion and fear and disillusionment that such questions of identity and belonging can bring up in us. And as all those colours and all those cultures and all the sizes and shapes of people from big and small wealthy and poor, free and oppressed, arid and tropical, far-flung places came together on Friday night. The crescendo kind of built to this moment of phoned-in voices of pop stars from around the world, once again, suggesting through John Lennon's musical lens that unity and peace 
and the oneness of humanity's identity would be created and celebrated if we could simply imagine a world without heaven and hell. Imagine an existence where there's nothing bigger than ourselves and nothing better to live for than today. It seemed a little tone deaf, didn't it? To suggest that we should just live for today. In an empty stadium, in a world that can't get on top of a tiny virus, just live for today, we suggest to the war-torn Syrians, to the coup and COVID-gripped Myanmar, to the famine in Nigeria and South Sudan and Somalia and Yemen, to those in Australia who are deliberately delaying the living for today so that those in our community can live tomorrow. Imagine nothing bigger than us. Imagine nothing better than this. Imagine no deeper purpose, no greater meaning, no lasting hope. Is that who we are? And who we want to be? Well, today we land back in the book of Genesis at the very start of the Bible, which is where we're told from the very first sentence that to imagine a world without God is a fantasy project and a fool's errand. A good and giving God made you to enjoy him, to enjoy one another and to enjoy his world. The beauty and the diversity and the unity that we long for and that we sing for and that we strive for, the unity of the nations of the world, that's his idea. That's his creation. That's his purpose and project. But as we saw in our journey 18 months ago from Genesis 1 to 11, we saw time and time again that humanity has always sought to isolate and separate themselves from God's good presence and purpose and project in his world. The pursuit of uh, the human project in isolation from God or even in defiance of God is not simply impossible because it's a fantasy world, but it's deeply rebellious and sinful. It's not only futile, it is totally foolish. And so as we journey together in Genesis 12 to 25, we are wrapped up again in God's story, in the story of what he is pursuing and the way that he pursues it. As we see his attributes revealed in his word and see those attributes in action, building for himself a people and a nation through one man and his family, And we're reminded again that we find our story in his story as he reveals himself to the world through his word. Listen to what I read this week from one of the commentators in the book of Genesis, John Walton, who writes, Too many of us treat the Bible as if it were a newspaper horoscope giving clues about what we should or should not do that day. 
We need to reclaim the Bible as God's self-revelation. We should be reading it to find out what God is like. Our spiritual growth is dependent on, among other things, developing an increasingly informed understanding of who God is and bringing more and more of our lives into orbit around Him. And that's our great goal as we read the book of Genesis. And this isn't us just observing some other story and some other family that's distant and removed from us that we're hoping to glean a couple of life lessons from. The Bible reminds us that this story is our story if we're bringing our lives under God's loving rule in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus, the Saviour and King. In Romans chapter 4, we're told that Abraham is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. The God who calls into being the very universe through the breath of his word is now the God who will bring into being a family and a nation that was not out of nothing again by his word the God who raises the Lord Jesus from the dead and speaks His very life into our hearts through the message of the Gospel. And it's through the message of the Gospel and God breathing life into our lives that He joins us to this story, His story, His family. And so here we are in Genesis chapter 12 and this is what I want us to see this morning. We see that God is beginning again with Abraham and his family. He's beginning again by God's Word, by faith in God's Word. And we finish chapter 12 with that dreaded feeling, oh no, not again. Beginning again. We uh, pick it up as the Dicker kids read for us at the end of chapter 11 where we see that chapter 11, verse 27 says, this is the account of Terah's family line. And if you remember 18 months ago, or if you've been reading your Bible for a while, you'll know that the book of Genesis is structured around these stories, these accounts of these family lines. And so our book is structured, it's broken up into those accounts of family lines. We see the account of the heavens and the earth, we see the account of Noah, of Adam, sorry, we see the account of Noah and we see the account of Shem and Ham and Japheth, Noah's sons. And then in chapter 11, we zero in on Shem's family in order to bring us to account number six, where we're picking it up with the account of Terah's family. And if you flip through to chapter 25, spoiler alert, you get Abraham's death and the next account of Ishmael and Isaac. And so this account from 11.27 through to chapter 25 is focused on Terah's family and particularly his son Abram. And when you see that account in 11.27 and you see Abram turn up, with his wife Sarai, and you see this is the beginning of the nation of Israel, God's people, who would bring about God's purposes, 
If you zero in on some of those details, it all just seems a little bit wrong. Because here we see God's design and His purpose playing out in the world as as some of those purposes that He created humanity to fulfil are being worked out as they as they are fruitful and they multiply and they're beginning to fill the earth. And so you see that blessing continuing to flow as family after family and line after line, child after child. We also see that God's good purposes have been impacted by sin and God's judgment on sin, that is death. As you work your way through these family lines, you keep seeing, and they were born and they died. And they were born and they died. The impact of sin and death in the world But here we see that even God's fruitful plans and purposes impacted by the curse that is uh, operating in the world. Where we see Abram, who married Sarai, and we're told in verse 30, this important detail, that Sarai was childless because she was not able to, to conceive. As God begins again, we start out by wondering how. The focus is on the wrong couple. <laughs> Abram and Sarai can't fill the earth and subdue it, they can't be fruitful and multiply, they can't even fill a minivan. What does Romans 4 say? That Abram is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. God says it's through this man and his wife, a childless couple, he will build his family, his nation, his people. Have a look on the screen, you'll see that Romans chapter 4 continues from verse 18 in the next slide. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So how is it that this will be achieved? How will God begin again and work out his purposes and build a nation from this one man and his wife and, and, and take a family and build a nation and bless all nations through them? How does he begin again? How does he bring forth a nation that will bring forth his saviour king, the Lord Jesus? That's our second point. He will do it by his word. The story of Abram at the start of chapter 12, who, in case you're a bit confused, gets his name upgraded in chapter 17 to Abraham. The story of Abram begins 
the way the story of the world begins. And God said. The powerful and sovereign creator God who speaks the universe into existence and speaks again and brings a nation into existence. A nation he will build confusingly from a foreigner whose wife is infertile, who is as good as dead, against any worldly hope. Abram's faith rests on God's promises. Have a look at chapter 12, verse 1, where we read, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And if we had been uh, picking this up from October 2019, we'll remember from chapter 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel how much of a contrast God's promises are to the sinful and rebellious project of the people of the world. What was happening at the Tower of Babel? People seeking to make for themselves a name and a reputation, to build for themselves a city with permanence and security, seeking the world's attention on them, who then ended up confounded and confused. In great contrast, it is God who will make Abram's name great. He will create a nation from which the originally intended blessing of God's favour and care and protection and kindness would be made known and would be received and would flow out to the ends of the earth. And in those promises that we have in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, Those short verses with extraordinary and universal and massive and stunningly beautiful promises that the rest of the Bible will unpack for us. With different shape, with different seasons, with different obstacles and setbacks, but the repeated again and again and again, the repeated commitment on God's part. Throughout the rest of the Bible, we see God's people continue to sin and waver and rebel and divert and forget and give up and fall over, and God will not. As he remains faithful, as he continues to commit time and time again to fulfill these promises until we see in the Lord Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the Messiah, the Saviour King, who will in the end be crucified and risen and send the blessing of the gospel to the ends of the earth. God says, I will give you people, I will give you a place, and I will give you a blessing. He says, I will give you people, I will make you into a great 
nation. It is through this one family who will become the nation of Israel that God says, here is the particular people for my particular purposes, to reveal my attributes and to see them in action, to be a beacon of my glory and my light of salvation to the ends of the earth, to to be my set-apart chosen people through whom my plans and purposes will be secured. I will give you a place. Go to the land I will show you, God says in verse 7. To your offspring I will give this land. To your children I will give you, I will give this land. God's people and God's place. And what does he say? I will bless you. I will bless you and you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, Abraham is not meant to be the, the one on whom all of God's blessing terminates, but he is the one through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The channel through whom the rest of the world will see God's glory and experience God's blessing, his, his favour and his kindness. And as the Bible unpacks this over time, as we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as we see the exodus to the, and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, as we see God's people wander in the wilderness and then arrive at the land, as we see the kings and the prophets and ultimately the Christ. All the way through, we keep seeing God's plans and purposes for him to gather for himself a people who will be his very own, who will be with him in his place, under his loving rule and care, under his blessing. And not only will they be under his blessing, but they will be the the channel through which his blessing goes out to the nations. This is God's project for the world, his promises that we see all of Scripture unpacking and explaining and filling out for us. And isn't it remarkable that we don't go from Genesis 12 and Abraham to the very next moment, the Lord Jesus, who fulfills all of God's promises. But we see a journey, multiple journeys and seasons. We see generations we see change, we see challenge. And all through it, God continues to reveal more of his character, his attributes, to put on display his glory and his thorough faithfulness and commitment even in the face of human sinfulness and rebellion. That when it comes to the Lord Jesus, we have so much reason to keep trusting in God's promises. So much reason to be channels for his blessing. So much reason to bring our lives into orbit around him in the person of his son. The one who would die and rise again who would say, go to the ends of the earth and keep gathering a people. 
as Jesus prepares a place. He pours out his blessing, his kindness by his spirit. God begins again by his powerful promises in his word. And how do you respond to that? By faith. By trusting in the God who makes promises and keeps promises. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram went. That's what faith looks like. With no earthly reason to go, Sarah is infertile. The land had other people in it. Abraham was worshipping other gods. All he knew was in Ur. And at the sound of God's voice, the giving of God's promise, Abram went. Leaving everything behind, he goes to a land already possessed that God says would be his. There is no possible way for Abram to see how God's promises could possibly be kept. He didn't know what the journey would look like or when or how these things would come about. He didn't know what the future held, but he trusted the one who holds the future. So Hebrews chapter 11 tells us, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham trusted in God's promises and he walked by faith, not by sight. Sight says Sarah is infertile, this can't be true. Sight says people are in the land that can't be ours. Sight says I'm here with everything I could possibly need. Why would I walk away from that to an unknown future in an unknown place? Faith says God is trustworthy and faithful. And the right thing to do in life in his world is to place yourself in his hands and to walk by faith in his promises, to live by his word. And you could kind of stop here and do what the Bible does do, which is say that Abraham is a model of faith, trusting God's promises. But boy, oh boy, he stumbles at the very first step, doesn't he? just to make sure that we're, we're seeing here that this is a picture of God's promises and God's purposes and God's project in the world. The very next step at the end of chapter 12, we read how Abram stumbled. 
and fumbled and mucked it up. And even as he seeks to trust in God's promises and live by God's word, he reminds us that it's often so hard to do in a world where we want to live by sight and not by faith. Again, the question of God's fruitfulness and God's project in the world is raised by a famine. So you think food production and reproduction impacted by the fall and the brokenness of the world. How will God achieve these purposes? And so as Abram and Sarah go to Egypt, Abram falls and stumbles, living by sight, worried about how his wife Sarah will be treated because she is beautiful. As a side note, Sarah is a very old woman. And I wonder if our standards and measurements of beauty are challenged. Whether it's her character as well as her physical beauty that's on display that Abram and Pharaoh praise and see as attractive. But as Abram and Sarah go to Egypt and Abram stumbles again in his walk of faith, as he for a moment lives by sight and not by faith, he reminds us that these are God's promises and God's purposes. This is God's project in the world. And we need to trust the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into being that were not. God's way can and frequently does look foolish and difficult, doesn't it? Very rarely does it look productive or sound purposeful to stop and pray or to sit and read your Bible. It often doesn't feel or seem plausible to follow God's word and his design for your sexuality and your love life. It doesn't often look prudent to give your money to support gospel proclamation in the world. It doesn't seem possible that disciples could be made of all nations. Abram is another example, a picture in God's word of someone who leaves everything behind with faith in God, even as he trips and stumbles along the way, being fully persuaded that God has power to do what he has promised, that he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Friends, these are the same promises that Jesus fulfilled and that God calls us to continue to trust him in. And this is the project of bringing blessing to the nations 
as the gospel of the risen Saviour Jesus, who was given life from the dead to call into being a worldwide church that doesn't look impressive and doesn't often look purposeful and doesn't often look plausible or productive, but is the hope of the nations. And is meant to be a channel through which God's blessing and his rule is proclaimed to the ends of the earth and his grace is brought to a starving, a dying and a desperate world. I'm going to pray that we might be the kind of people who walk by faith and not by sight in the God who makes and keeps promises. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for your consistency and your faithfulness that you are the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. That you have made for yourself a family from this one man and his wife. That you've made for yourself a nation from whom the Lord Jesus, our Saviour King, would come that you continue to pour out your grace and send your blessing to every nation through the power of the gospel. Please help us to be reminded of your utter faithfulness and to walk by faith and not by sight as we look for that time and that moment, that city that you are building where we will dwell with you forever. Amen. We're going to sing again.